0: This is the West Point Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us online this week. If you'd like to give or support West Point Church in any way, you can visit westpoint.org give. We hope you enjoy today's message and have a great rest of your week. All right. Well, this week um, is a little bit different than normal. This is not a typical message. I'm going to show you a video in just a little bit. Um, but we're, we're we've been going through this uh, message series called Jesus and Politics, and you know this isn't really a political issue, but uh, our country it does really well at making things that have nothing to do with politics about politics. Can I get an amen? Right. Um, but we're going to talk about the issue of racism, and and the reason that uh, I think this is so important. Um, is because this is something that our world and our country right now is struggling with in a major way, and we're wrestling with this issue. And so the video that I'm going to show you in just a little bit is an interview that I did with uh, Satish Roddy. Um, if you came to the women's event last Saturday, you would have seen her. She was one of the people that were interviewed um, as part of uh, that women's conference as well. Uh, but she is a friend of mine, and... Uh, um, one of the things that I love most about Satis is that even though she has personally been hurt uh, by prejudice, she does not have one ounce of bitterness in her heart. And I think you're going to really love hearing her heart and hearing her talk about this particular topic. Um, but before I show the interview this morning, there are a couple of things that I want to bring up. And the reason why we're doing this This morning, and talking about this particular issue, is I believe with all my heart that the church needs to be on the front lines of fighting this battle. All right, our history as an American church, and even our history in the assemblies of God, is not wonderful on this particular topic. And there has been a lot of prejudice and racism in the church. And listen, we can't continue to do it that way any longer. Uh, We can't complain about people who are taking the lead in this movement when we haven't stepped up to the plate and dealt with it first as the church. And so if we don't like the way that we're doing it, then we need to do it better, all right? We need to be the leaders in this movement. You know, in the assemblies of God, uh, we were really founded as an, as an interracial movement where one of, our, one of the key leaders in the Pentecostal movement in the early days was a guy named William Seymour, He's a black preacher and um, just was an incredible man of God. And, you know, sometimes when, when you start um, establishing bureaucracy in church, things get messed up, right? And we actually got to a point in the Assemblies of God where we weren't credentialing black pastors anymore. Even though we started with such an incredible um, interracial movement, um, we can't be silent on this anymore. We need to take up um, the, the movement, and we need to be leaders in the fight against uh, racism and against prejudice in a godly way. Um, the second thing is that the greatest danger in the U.S. today isn't overt racism. Now, there are still groups and some of that, but but listen, the Ku Klux Klan and, and all the, the different uh, overtly racist um, organizations and people out there are not... The, the biggest challenge in our world today it's the little prejudice it 's the um, much more subtle things that that exist and that are often unintentional but just as hurtful and um, you know i've had to in my own life in my own experience to examine my heart and to let the Holy Spirit speak to me and convict me of things that that I had believed and that i um, that I held in my heart that weren't right. And if we're not willing to do that as Christians to say, okay, Holy Spirit, show me in the areas that I'm struggling, that I'm wrong, that I'm off. If we're not willing to do that, then are we really even growing in our faith at all? Are we completely stagnant? And so that, that would be my hope this morning, that um, you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and point out areas where maybe you have wrong belief or you have something that's off in your heart. The third thing that I wanna share is that we're making progress. Um, now, you won't see it on the interview this morning because we had to kinda edit it down for, for time reasons, but we're posting the full interview that we did um, on our YouTube page and on our Facebook page later, and you can go back and watch it there. But one of the things that that Pastor Satis will say is that we are making progress on this issue, and we are growing as, as a church, we are growing as a nation, we are becoming healthier uh, as Americans on this particular issue. And there's hope in that. Okay, So this is not like, oh, we're so bad, we're so terrible, we're doing everything wrong. We're growing in this issue. But we also have to remember that, that we're less than 10 generations away from what, when we had slavery in this nation. And if you think about that, um, that's, that's a long ways to go. And we've done a great job of getting to where we're at now, but we can't stop. We need to be relentless in this. Momentum requires continued pushing and progression and growth. And if we're going to grow as a country and we're going to grow as a church, then then we need to keep moving in this way. I want to say that I am extremely proud of this church. I want you to hear that. Uh, I believe with all my heart that this place is a place that is welcoming and loving and has a heart for every person, no matter what their background is, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their socioeconomic status might be, that when they walk into this building, they feel loved. And I'm so grateful to be a part of a body that is like that. And frankly, if we weren't like that, I wouldn't want to be here. Okay, so I'm very proud of us as a church church in that way but that doesn't mean that we don't have anywhere to grow either and we need to be leaders on the forefront of this movement in our nation and in our world you know we're such a welcoming church that we even take in Packer fans so Lord Lord help me to overcome my prejudice against Packer fans I know it's there I'm struggling with it, I'm wrestling with it, but the Lord's going to help me on that one too. (laughs) Now normally on a Sunday morning you'd hear me teach from a passage of scripture, and this is going to be a little bit different this morning, but I want you to understand something. The Bible is not silent on this topic. Now the challenges that they had in Jesus' day and in scripture were maybe different than the ones that we are facing here today. Uh, It wasn't necessarily... Prejudice related to skin color, but there was prejudice against Gentiles. There were prejudice against Samaritans. There were prejudice against the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, And this was Paul's instruction in Galatians 3.25 to address this particular topic. He said, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He's talking about the law here when he refers to a guardian. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all. Sons of God, through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs, according to to promise. Let's watch this video. So Pastor Satis, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing with with West Point. Um, I just want to give you a little bit of background as to why we're doing this particular message and kind of why it's part of this this series. You know, I grew up in an all-white community um, and Growing up in that neighborhood, I moved to, to Minneapolis when I went to college and was part of a very diverse church, uh, uh, Bethel's Rock Church in, uh, at the time, Minneapolis and then moving to Richfield and um, made a lot of friends that uh, uh, in that community and God called us to Delano and so as we were planning to go out there. I did some research on the community and found out at the time that Delano was 97% Caucasian. And uh, I just checked this morning actually just to see it now. It's it's 95% now, so we're making progress. uh -uh. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you know, at the time we moved out here and uh, I just, I started praying, God, give me that 3%. Praise the (laughs) Lord. I want to be the most diverse church. In this city and um, you know we had already had several families that had adopted from all over the world from China and from Africa and um, so we certainly had that in our DNA and in our heart for sure but I remember praying like God just just bring in families uh, that that would reflect kind of the world that we live in now and that first summer uh, there were four families that that started coming and three out of the four families uh, were either you know non-white families or, or mixed families and and the the fourth couple of that family just this year uh, just a are in the process of adopting two amazing African-American girls so all four of those families brought some you know diversity in our church and I just remember even just thinking about it this morning it, it just caused me to tear up a little bit just thinking of uh, it was just a sign to me of God's love it made me feel like I was at home you know as we moved out here and so this idea of being a diverse church is, is something that's really important to me. Uh, I, and I think it's my hope that our church would be a model to our community. Yes. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was actually an incident in our city. A black family had moved to town here. They built a house. Uh, they were planning to retire in Delano and someone broke into their home and spray painted racist graffiti all over their walls and over their, their stuff. And uh, you know it was it was just a really terrible time for our community. We were on the cover of the Star Tribune for all the wrong reasons. And you know I know that doesn't reflect the heart of our city. Uh, and there, uh, it was very upsetting to most of the people that live here. But. It did kind of highlight that that we still have some work to do, and uh, there is some some racial prejudice and some outright racism um, in, in our community and certainly in our world. And you know, I want to be a church that's on the front lines of that battle. Um, and so we were talking about this series with our staff. Um, I, I suggested that maybe we should bring in someone uh, to help me preach this message rather than just listening to the the white guy talk about <laughs> racism. So, um, so that's why I, I gave you a, a, a sent you a text message. Uh, and uh, church, this is my friend Pastor Satise. Uh I actually heard your interview on Susie Larson on her po- podcast shortly after. Uh, the death of George Floyd and you just did such an incredible job of kind of sharing that perspective and so I thought you'd be the perfect person to share a little bit with us and uh, so I'll just give a little bit of your background and you can kind of fill in some of the details but Satis Roddy is an African-American woman pastor who's leading a church in an affluent and predominantly white suburb Uh, she's also a police chaplain and just a great preacher and uh, a woman of God. And uh, you know, I gotta just ask you: Did you wake up one day and say, "God, I want the toughest assignment <laughs> that you could possibly give me"? So, would you just share a little bit, kind of, about your history and your family, your your husband, and? Tim and uh, maybe a little bit of your testimony too and how you ended up in, in Minnetonka as a, as a pastor.
1: Absolutely. It's funny that you would say that because I just told uh, some of the congregation this past Sunday that I didn't just wake up and say I wanted to be a pastor in Minnetonka. <laughs> I moved here uh, in 2007 to get married to my husband, Tim. We met on eHarmony. And first, let me say, uh, when I tell people that we met on eHarmony, I wanna let them know that eHarmony is a tool, but God is the source. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a lot of praying about that. And um, when I met him in 2005, Two months later, I was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of, of breast cancer, and uh, the doctors didn't expect me to make it. And so, uh, before we went on eHarmony, it was my girlfriend and I, uh, real close girlfriend. We sat down and we wrote a list of everything we wanted in a husband, and we said we were not going to deter from that. And so, when we wrote the list, I said I wanted someone that had a heart for God, someone that would pray over me, and that uh, someone that would not run when the going got tough. And so. Uh, Well, I got to to find that out and to experience that because when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and finally told Tim that I was diagnosed, his words to me were, we will get through this. So I knew right away he was supposed to be in my life. I didn't know to what degree, but uh, obviously God had plans. And so uh, we dated for a couple of years because I went through uh, chemotherapy for um, eight months and radiation for two months. So I couldn't travel. He would come visit me every 21 days after a treatment. And I was basically bedridden. So I got to see his heart. I got to know his heart. I got to see that he would pray, that he wasn't um, afraid when things uh, got tough. So that began our courting. And we did it, as I said, for almost two years. And then in 2007, he had asked me to marry him. So I moved to Minnesota. Minnesota was not in my vocabulary. (laughs) I had no idea uh, about Minnesota. I really didn't. And as a matter of fact, one of the questions That one of my friends asked uh, in California is Satis are there any black people in Minnesota (laughs) (laughs) so I had no idea but once I came to visit after I had the treatment I came to visit that one time as soon as I stepped off the plane I realized that this was home Mm -hmm. that um there was no turning back that God allowed me to get to know Tim's heart because he was my husband so I moved here in 2007 we got married and back in California. I was in ministry. I was not on staff, but I was did ministry for quite a while and, um, you know, served as a pastor, uh, uh and just, uh, loved doing ministry. But again, it was California. It was like a melting pot. I mean, color and race, none of that was an issue. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't experience that really until I got to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And so now I know why the person asked if there were any black people in Minnesota. And honestly, I never felt the impact of being, uh, discriminated against until I became a pastor, honestly. And so, uh, and how that happened is we were going to a church uh, when we first got here and uh, it was about 5,000 people and I probably was only one of three blacks that was, were going, was going there. And again, it didn't bother me, but I remember feeling some kind of anxiety when I would go to church. And I remember asking one of my pastor friends, uh, have you ever been in a place where you just felt alone? And I honestly thought it was because I was... Uh, no longer in California, I was here in Minnesota. And uh, I asked her, I said, have you ever felt that way? And she said, you know what? I can't say that I have. And I said, you know, I really feel that when I go to the church, when I go to my job, which I was working at the time, I feel that I'm just alone. And she told me, she said, Satis, look around you. And I said, okay, what do you mean? She said, just look around you you're one of only black, one of only one black person in this area. And I'm thinking, okay, and I never thought about it. Mm. It never. I knew there was something, but I never put it together that it was because of my being black because again, I never had an issue with that. So afterwards, um, again, I did not allow that to bother me. I mean, there's many times when I've been the only black. I mean, I'm married to a white man and going to family events, I'm the only black. So what we began to do is um, we just began to um, just love each other, love the people in our area, and I wanted to do that. And the church I was attending at that time with 5,000 people, I started a women's ministry there. And it was over about 50 women in the ministry. And what we realized, though, is that none of those women were from Minnesota none of them and it was a thing where they felt alone as well so again i didn't equate color because we were of all different uh, nationalities but after a while of going there three and a half years we moved to another church which was a little bit more diverse but the pastors were not diverse and i felt discrimination from them Um, i was not on staff but i served as a pastor a volunteer pastor there and i was treated terribly Very terribly, but again, I did not equate it to being black. But I'm learning this, and and um, again, being in a position like this and not knowing, it was a suppression. I was. pressing everything and it was almost like an oppression mm-hmm. and so after about three and a half years of being there I wanted to leave God released me we went to EPAC, uh, Eden Prairie Assemblies of God and when I went there I told Tim we're not going to say anything about ministry we're just going to go there and we're just going to heal but I uh, went to lunch, I think, with Pastor Jack Perrin and his wife, and they realized a call on my life. So what he did is he took me under his wing. He just prayed for me. They mentored me, and it became um, something that a relationship that I just felt safe there. And so when we were doing that, I felt no discrimination from Pastor Jack. I just only felt love, and that's a place I wanted to be. But after being there about two years, almost two years, he said that the Holy Spirit told him that I was going to be the next pastor at a church in Minnetonka and I said, oh no, (laughs) that's not going to happen and he said just to pray about it and I prayed about it for probably six months and God said yes. He started opening up the doors and so I ended up as lead pastor at um, Oasis Church in Minnetonka. It was um, again, I had no idea of my surroundings and when i say that that i was the only black person at the church uh all white congregation and somebody pointed that out to me over the course of about four years i had at least four to five pastors tell me that it's never going to work because uh, you're a black female pastor in the suburbs and normally black pastors are in the inner city and that broke my heart because one I've never unless God said so never seen myself pastoring a church in the inner city I uh, I'm in the suburbs yeah. and so I thought um, we're walking this journey together and um, you know we have a call in our lives I'm ordained just like you are and how dare you tell me that it's not going to work. You're obviously looking at man and not looking to God again. God knew I'm sure knew that I was black and female when he placed (laughs) me at Oasis Church. So again, none of that really bothered me, but I don't know. I don't know if you, uh, you can relate to this, but when you are uh, in a place and you're not really aware of your surroundings and then someone points it out, I found myself going in a room and saying, I'm the only black in here, you know, things like that. But I had to pray about that and release that because I know that um, I think about the scripture in Genesis 1:27 when it talks about um, being made in the image of God. Uh, so I look at myself and I see myself and others in the Amago day made in the image of God. And I'm exactly who God called me to be and who he wants me to be. So it is um, a place where I'm learning and my eyes are being opened. And um, I love what I do. And I love that God has called me to this.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that my first kind of um, experience, I guess, in, in Kind of witnessing prejudice firsthand and really being observant of it. I, my brother, who you know, he was on your board for a little while. Um, he was coming to North Central and his, his best friend from Chicago area came and visited and, and spent the, the weekend with him. And so we were hanging out and he happens to be black. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went out to eat and uh, we got in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they, they uh, took us, and, and the, it was a slow time. There were hardly any people there. And everybody was kind of seated in, in the front area, and they brought us all the way around the back and, and in the corner. And we sat down, and I was just, I was looking around. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Like, why did they seat us back here? And and Irvin looks at me, and he's like, Paul, are you serious right now? No. <laughs> like, and, and it's just, I think that's, Kind of just the reality of things. People are are just unaware sometimes that that this discrimination or this prejudice exists. So maybe if you, what are some of the ways where you maybe personally experienced that more subtly or maybe not so subtly, like you shared with some of these other pastors?
1: Yeah, you know, too, uh, when you said that some people are are just unaware of it because uh, I remember a pastor telling me um, that, you know, you're here and you're you're in Minnetonka, you're in Minnesota, and it's just not a a comfortable setting, a comfortable situation. And my answer to him was, I'm very comfortable. Um, This is nothing new to me. And he said, no, I'm not talking about you being uncomfortable. I'm talking about everyone else being uncomfortable. People are just not ready for it and so um, I began to see that people were uncomfortable but again I had no idea that it was because of the color of my skin they didn't know how to interact with me they didn't know um, how to um, you know how to uh, communicate with me, if you would. And again, I've never, uh, experienced that or don't remember experiencing it until I came to Minnesota. So it's just, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult knowing that because I see people for who they are, not what color they are. And, uh, so that's something that I had to learn. And I really don't want that to be, um, On my mind or in my heart because it it is a heart issue and if I'm busy trying to figure out why people are not communicating with me then that is going to uh, you know it's gonna distract me from getting to know the person for who they are and them getting to know me
0: right so I guess that kind of leads us to the next question like what do you think is at the heart of racism in our country
1: I think it's just being uh, uneducated misinformed I have um, Something that I uh, read, Nelson Mandela, and he he said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin, or his background, or his religion. People people must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a learned behavior because no one is born, you know, racist. They just aren't. It's just, uh, I think it's superiority, people uh, looking down upon other people, but it's what they learn. And so um, it's a hard issue. It really is a hard issue. So what's at the heart of it is misinformed, misinformation, um, hate. Mm-hmm. you know but not all racism is caused by hate yeah. you know again it's just being uh, uneducated and not knowing and seeing what other people are doing and just going with the status quo yeah
0: so. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that's so true um, so how do we make progress mm-hmm. uh,
1: well I think some progress is being made I um, I have to say uh, I see that uh, non-black or whites are coming to the table, they're getting a seat at the table, they're listening, they're wanting to hear because again, a lot of them don't know they don't know and they don't know what they don't know so I believe that they're starting to open their their ears to hear their eyes to see in their hearts to receive what's really going on I believe that um, those that were in denial um, are no longer denying that it exists and they really want to know what's happening so that they can be a part of the solution as opposed to being part of the problem because again a lot of them, a lot of people don't know and I want to say too that when um, I was discriminated. Against and I felt that I was and I don't want to say victim because I never see myself as a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as there's Jesus Christ, I see myself as a victor. But when people are saying things that are racist remarks towards me, I don't think that a lot of them are hateful. I don't think that a lot of them know. I think a lot of it is c- unconscious bias yeah. and uh, they just really don't know. And so uh, but we as a people, a black people, I can educate you. You know and let you know uh, what you just said is a racist remark it made me feel very uncomfortable and i don't have a problem with saying that because i am secure in who i am in christ and so um, i just want to share that because again if you don't know i want to help you with that because i don't want you to come off as a racist if you're really not a racist you're just un- misinformed
0: so, yeah so uh, as, as uh, just a follow-up question to that as a, as a white person like how do how do we you know in a healthy way ask those questions Mm -hmm. and say hey you know help me understand Mm -hmm. better is 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 there a, a way to approach that that will help us Mm -hmm. kind of be more aware of that
1: yeah I think coming to the table and uh, asking the questions and be ready to be uncomfortable because if you don't know you are going to be uncomfortable but don't be afraid don't be fearful to ask those questions and really listen to the person's heart Um, I because I'm a a believer we're believers I believe prayer prayer first and ask God to help you and to to be ready and okay with the things that you hear because some things you may hear because you've never experienced it you would never believe that it would have happened i mean that even happens with me i mean i don't have it as bad i don't think as a black male you know because some of the things that i hear now i just uh until this um this happened to me a couple of months ago I don't know if I would have really, it would have resonated with me the way it it does now. Because again, if I experienced that uh, from pastors over the course of four to five years and then that incident that happened, I guess, I guess about a, a week, maybe two weeks, before the George Floyd thing happened. I think that, um, you know, that broke me. It hurt me. Mm-hmm. I cried. I think I'm still healing from that. Uh, praise God that I am healing. But can you imagine the person that's experienced it all their lives? Mm-hmm. This only happened to me, and this was just a small part of it, and I know how it broke me. So I have a different perspective when I talk to people now when they say they've been um, victims of racism.
0: Mm-hmm. It's good. Um Talk to us a little bit about your experience as a police chaplain and, and what that's been like and, and how you got involved in that.
1: Okay, okay, well, what we have is a group in the city of Minnetonka and it also um, its we're in the middle of Minnetonka Hopkins. And so we have a group called the Faith Leaders of Minnetonka and what that is is a group of pastors, clergy from all denominations where we come together to uh, network and build community and get to know the community and see how we can of help in the community Um, well when we are doing that there's uh, issues that come up things that are needed in the city and one was chaplain chaplaincy and so I believe there's four of us it used to be five one step down there's four chaplains I am the one black female and I say that I wear it as a badge of honor but um, they asked me if I would like to be uh, a part of that and I prayed about it and absolutely absolutely and one of the things that we do is we get calls and if someone um, is um, having a problem or an issue, then they call a chaplain to come out and be with those persons if they don't have a a pastor or if they need a pastor out. And we just sit with them just for comfort. Uh, But one of the things that I'm doing is, and I'm so blessed by this, is that was the way it was set up before for the chaplain to go out with the police officer or meet the police officer there. But what they've asked me to do is to meet and speak with police officers if they, they need that because they see a lot of things. They are involved in a lot of things and sometimes they just need someone to talk to mm-hmm. so that's where I come in wow. and I love doing that. I love the heart of these police officers. I get to um, to go and get to know them and I make it a point to get to know them because if something happens I don't want them to get to know me. I want them to already know my heart so they feel comfortable with me coming and and being a part of supporting them. So um, I love doing that. Um, I know their hearts. I uh, go and do ride alongs with them. If they have an issue in the family, one police officer, his uh, daughter had passed away. I went to support them at the memorial service. So I just make make myself present and make myself, uh, I just want them to know that I love them, and I'm there for them, and uh, I see them. Wow, so.
0: that is so cool. Uh, and you've even had, I've known, I've seen online a little bit, you've had like prayer nights and community nights where you've had representatives from the, the police force yes. that have come out to that to, to support your church as well.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, that's that's such an amazing uh, you know opportunity to build bridges and, and those relationships. What, what do you think is at the heart of this tension between the black community and the police force, and and what are some of the ways that 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 can heal and that can become better?
1: You know, I I thought about uh, that as I look, you know, and see things happening, I believe a lot of it has to do with fear, a lot of it has to do uh, with stereotypes, and um, it's just um, when I say fear, I'm saying fear on both sides. Uh, the yeah. black community fear police and then police uh, stereotyping and just fear of, yeah. of blacks. It's, just, it's all around fear and I think that's what what's at the heart of it. But I think that, um, you know, police are needed. Yeah. I mean we need police. I mean that's just my thought on it. Again I'm a, a compassionate person and a passionate person. I just love everybody in the hearts of everyone and I think it's a heart issue on both sides and it needs to be respect, mutual respect.
0: Yeah that that's that's so true and just like those building of relationships like I know for me personally um, you know growing up with all my friends were white. All the people that I knew were white, and uh, so I had, you know, inherent prejudices and and things that that I believed to be true about black people mm-hmm. that I didn't know any differently because I didn't have any relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like as as you build relationships with with people, you know, you get to know them, and then that ultimately shifts your perception of reality, and uh, you know to find a way to build those relationships it's just something that that I'm so passionate about and and so the fact that, that you're doing that you're involved in your police force that I just I think that's absolutely amazing
1: and I think you know to uh, Pastor Paul I think it's necessary to build those relationships because if you're not building the relationships you're stereotyping you're going by what you hear and not what you know and I think that uh, it's important to build relationships it's important to um, if you are um, and I can't speak for everyone but if you are involved with a certain community you want to get <clears throat> excuse me excuse me get to know that community I mean not just go there when something bad is happening because it's going to put you in a totally different frame of mind but if you go there and you really show up and you're there and you get to know the community and that's why I want to be a part of the community that I'm involved in because I can't uh, know the community by listening to someone else I have to literally get out there myself to find
0: out and to be intentional with those relationships sometimes you have to like push yourself and say I'm gonna just make myself uncomfortable Mm -hmm. you know I I, this is a a stupid little thing that I do but like just because in Delano we just don't have a lot of people of other Mm -hmm. you know races other ethnicities and so if I see someone that's not white I just try to make a point just to say hi and and, you know like just thinking about that and kind of being conscious Mm -hmm. of that those are just ways that, that we can start building those bridges because if you don't have those personal relationships, you just don't have the perspective that you need to to kind of see people where they're at.
1: But you have to be genuine too. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to do it just to be doing it. Your heart has to be in it, yeah. you know, because someone had asked me um, what could they do as a white person to to um, to step up and uh, and they were saying that someone told them, invite this person to dinner. Well, make sure you're inviting them because you truly want to get to know them not because you're just doing it for um, you know for others to see you really have to be invested in it and I think that that's that's truly important
0: yeah people can see right through that yes exactly <laughs>
1: uh-huh. exactly
0: uh, talk to my community real quick how can uh, the people of Delano and, and our surrounding community uh, be part of the solution that is racial prejudice Mm -hmm. and that is racism in our in our country
1: okay well I still say it starts with the heart you have to be willing to do it uh, willing to do the do the work um, educating oneself you got you have to get to Maybe the history, some of the history. I'm doing a lot of reading now, stuff that I didn't even know, but, uh, seeing where the person is coming from and meeting that person where they are and being intentional about it. And again, when you do meet with that person or trying to get to know that person, don't have an agenda, you know? And Be ready to listen, because again, sometimes when a person meets with another person, they want to talk, but you really have to listen because you're still not understanding and you will never understand if you're not listening and hearing what the person is saying. And you have to have your heart open. And as I said, you have to be ready to be uncomfortable and don't be fearful. Um, You know, we're just people, we're just people and and we just want to be treated as people It's not. Uh, as people of a different color. Well, thank you
0: so much for for uh, sharing with us today and being here and coming out to Delano, yes. and uh, it's been a blessing. Uh, I heard your heart certainly today, and I know that that a church is is going to hear that as as you just shared with us and and so thank you for doing this and we appreciate you
1: yes and thank you for having me and i'm so honored and so blessed and i'm so thankful to have you as a friend pastor paul